this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. So, B. Yes, E. I am a little, like, psycho about this topic <laughs> we're talking today. <laughs> so, this is a perfect example of, just as a disclaimer, y'all, Emily's unpopular opinion about to come at ya. Cause I have been hearing the term manterrupter, manterruption, manterrupting used over and over again in a lot of headlines. And part of me wants to say, yeah, stop silencing women. Stop interrupting women. Stop, you know, policing women's speech and let her speak. Let her hold the floor, especially right. when it comes to Kamala Harris or uh, Elizabeth Warren and Emma Hill, or if we're talking about a presidential debate, of course. But another part of me, the wonky, nerdy research junkie, has looked into these studies, and maybe a little too closely, and have come to find out that there is very little evidence, very shaky, crappy research that leads to hyperbolic headlines. And I, as a research-driven human being and a feminist, am very opposed to and wary of being accused of being perpetuating feminist propaganda. And so I think it's important that as we talk about very real issues that affect women and inequality and injustice, that we also retain a very high standard for accuracy because going out there perpetuating um, myths in the name of gender equality doesn't really help anybody. So today, I'm curious to see what your reaction is going to be to this, Bridget, because I'm also a notorious interrupter, and I'm aware of that, y'all. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that. <laughs> um, I want to really unpack why this is such a troubling issue for me, and why I'm not on the bandwagon of calling out man's man not mansplaining different interrupting interrupting if you are a woman in and you make your living via speaking or giving presentations it's we've all experienced it and so i think it might be one of those things where you everyone has a story everyone didn't happen there are high profile ha- things that happen in politics or in pop culture and it can feel very truthy that this is something that we're living with that men interrupt more you know more than women that met that there's a a flood of men interrupting women mid-thought, and it's really disrespectful and awful. And that I, I want to push back and say that I think that it's possible for both of those things to sort of be true, that it's true that that happens and it, it doesn't feel good, but it happens as women. And it's possible that it's true that, scientifically speaking, it's not, we don't know if it's happening on right. this grand scale if men are doing it more to women. I agree with that completely. I'm I'm glad you put it that way because I think there needs first and foremost there needs to be way more research done and I have a proposal for any scientist listening to this episode. I will lay out for you what I think would be an actual well-executed scientific study. So someone either give me money to do this study, please, or go do this study and tell me how it goes. Um but here's the here's the beef I have. The New York Times ran a story recently with the headline, The Universal Phenomenon of Men Interrupting Women. That's a pretty bold headline. Just as bold, Glamour Magazine's headline on the topic, uh, which is a little older than the more recent moment with Kamala Harris inspiring that New York Times piece, was, Yep, Science Confirms 
manterrupting is real. Those don't sound like like this is a subtle thing we should look into. Those right. sound very definitive. Don't those headlines? They're pretty explicit. I think I think I have less of a problem with the first headline because they it, it, they at least are not saying this is a confirmed thing. Right. I think saying like oh it's a phenomena, a universal phenomena. They're kind of saying like what I was saying before, which is ev- women of all seem yes. to be dealing with this and talking about it on Twitter. Thus, it is a universal phenomena. The glamour headline, I think I have a, more of a problem with because they're getting into some scientific evidence that I have a lot of questions about. Yes. And so we're going to unpack those studies in a second. But first, I want to ask a couple of questions to that that unpack the underlying assumptions when we talk about man interruptions. First is, is an interruption definitively a reflection of power, disrespect, or respect, or is it, could it be, and I'm very defensive about this, could it be a natural way of completing each other's sentences, of speaking communally, of, you know, chatter with your girlfriends? Does context make a difference to to that? I think that's so, not to interrupt, (laughs) but I think that's so true, right? It depends on like most things, it depends on relationships and, and the context. My best friend, Stephanie, shout out, shout out to Stephanie. People always tell us that when we, ha- like when we're at brunch, when we have a long conversation, it's just us, it turns into just us yelling over each other in a very excited way. And some people, for, for some people, that would be maddening, but it's just how we communicate with each other as people who've known each other for forever and ever and ever. We see eye to eye on a bunch of things. We get excited about the same things. We want to agree verbally. Are you trying not to interrupt me right now? Because you're painfully <laughs> trying. I'm like, you know why? <laughs> it's because our Sminty listeners have sometimes kindly and sometimes not so kindly called me out for my desire to provide verbal feedback almost continuously. Or verbal agreement. So I'm constantly over here like, mm-hmm, yes, get it, yeah. I'm like cheering <laughs> you on, and people are like, get out of my earbuds. I'm trying to listen to Bridget. Like, shut up, Emily. But I think if most people, and, and <laughs> right, I think it's different when you have a podcast, but I think for most folks, if they had a microphone recording a conversation over brunch, they would be surprised how often they interrupted their friends. I think you're just trying to be nice to me, but I, I'm going to take it. I, I appreciate it. Um, so that's the first underlying question or underlying assumption to I want to push back on. Maybe, like me, you grew up in a household where airtime was limited because there were six of us around every dining, 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 dining room table, dining table. <laughs> dinner table. And, you know, we had to compete for airtime and, and listening, active listening is a skill that can be taught and learned that I was not, frankly exposed to much as a kid. So I, you know, I have painfully tried to learn how to be a better listener. Uh, and my default is feeling entitled to speak. Well, it's like that that question they ask when you, people are talking, do you listen or do you wait to speak? And I think I definitely wait to speak. Really? And I think I've gotten, I've taken, honestly, one of the things that's made it easier for me to Listen is going to therapy because they really highlight when some when you're in therapy when you say something mirroring back what they've said to show that you understand it you've digested it that you've internalized it and if you if someone's just like blah 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 and then when you they stop you are talking about something else or relating it back to you you're not showing that you've internalized it digested it and you that you can you know 
give it back to them. So being in therapy is something that will really help you, uh, at least helped me understand how to listen better and how to, you know, glean things from what people are saying rather than just wanting to be like, oh, great, back to me again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, It's a hard skill. It's a harder skill to learn. Uh, and I think some of us get it more than others, and we can all get better. I definitely would include myself in that. Uh, but it, it just reminds me that sometimes interrupting can be acknowledgement, can be uh, in, a, a, a agreement or accordance, or it can be very disrespectful. I think it really depends. And the research doesn't always differentiate between the intent behind an interruption or the context or the context, the formality, the power dynamic, you know, some, I think it's very offensive when your boss interrupts only the junior women in the office mm-hmm. continuously and not the men. And I think there's definitely anecdotal evidence to say that that is a chronic uh, experience for women out there. Not that the hard research, by the way, that is out there really reinforces this. The second thing I want to talk about underlying assumption to push back on here do men really interrupt women more or do they interrupt women as much as other women interrupt women? So that was something about this research that I found fascinating is that everybody, we're all just interrupting women. Yes. Um, men are doing it. Women are doing it perhaps more if, if this, if this research is to be, you know, trusted more than, than men are doing it. So everybody is interrupting women. Yes. Women can't finish a freaking sentence. <laughs> Exactly. And that's why, I mean, one of the conclusions I'm starting to draw personally here is that the way women speak, I'm not saying this is victim blaming that we're inviting this or we're we're the ones to blame here, but the way women tend to speak sometimes leaves us open to being interrupted at a higher rate than men. And so I, you know, obviously, let's talk about some of the public instances where we've seen this, because this gets everybody riled up on the internet. I get it. I want to, you know, buy a Nevertheless She Persisted t-shirt, too, when... Was that with Elizabeth Warren? It was. was told, you know, she, she was, was warned. warned. She was warned. She was... Shut up. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, she persisted, and I find that persistence admirable. I think all women did. Well, I think most women who, you know, tweeted it out a million times did, because in the light of someone trying to interrupt you... She asserted herself. Right. She didn't allow herself to be interrupted. Yeah. And I think what's important to note is that with Elizabeth Warren's example, it was almost this meta interruption because Warren was trying to read this letter by um, Coretta Scott King opposing Jeff Sessions, uh, talking about how awful he was and that Warren was not permitted. So Coretta Scott King was not permitted to sort of speak through... Right. Warren. Did you hear how I just interrupted Bridget, y'all? Did you <laughs> hear happens. how that happened? It happens. This is a very I'm meta, sorry. meta episode. I know. And I, I don't mean to do it with disrespect either. No, I know. And I think painfully I, bad. I, speaking about, um, the, like, sentence construction and sort of, uh, speaking in ways that make it easy to interrupt, I, I am known for, like, a long run on sentence. I am, like, known for this. I love a winding, winding road of a sentence. And those are the kind of sentences that are very easy to interrupt. Yes, she said, after taking a beat and a breath <laughs> and trying not to be the ignorant co-host. Um, yes, and that's that's what actually has come out of, to me, is made in the most compelling way in some of the research I've read, which is 
Again, I might be projecting here because I am accused of interrupting you often, Bridget, but this way of speaking, mid-conversation interruptions or mid-sort-of-sentence interruptions is commonly happening with people who use passive phrasing and more dependent clauses in their speech. It opens them up to being interrupted, male or female. Now, a dependent clause, let's unpack that for a second, is defined as a group of words with a subject and a verb. It does not express a complete thought, so it is not a sentence and can't stand alone. These clauses include adverb clauses, adjective clauses, blah, blah, blah. You get it, right? Right. Phonetics 101. But when we speak in sort of casual trailing ways... To me, I always feel like whenever we're on air or not, we're always sort of constructing a sentence together Mm -hmm. and winding our way through a thought process. It's kind of, it's more interesting to me. I completely agree. And that's, going back for a minute to that kind of examples of of man interruptions Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. in in the public eye, uh, that's why I thought the way that Hillary Clinton was so, so often interrupted in the debates was so awful because in those debates, it's very clear, this is your time to talk and this is you, that your time to talk. It's there's no confusion about it. You're not, you know. It's it's very very clear. And the fact that she was so often interrupted when it was not, you know, when it was not someone else's turn to talk, it was her time to talk. That I found horrible. Exactly. So there were literal timers for how much airtime you have, and and he had. And it's not like she's using dependent clauses, y'all. She's in the middle of a gosh darn sentence. Right. And that. I, I think that direct comparison made him look compulsive, right? <laughs> I, that's my biggest concern is looking that compulsive as an interrupter mm-hmm. when I'm excited and I have something to say. And I think it's I, I think it, it adds to what you're saying. And I right. wish we could talk at the same time. It would meld meld minds in that way. But that is very different than a timed, brief, uh, moderated, sometimes not so effectively, debate that the rules of the game are very clear, and the animosity was also very clear. Right, because speaking of, like, slogans that sprung from this last election, that's where we have the phrase nasty woman. She was in the middle of saying something, and Trump interjected, such a nasty woman, yeah, in, the middle wrong, of her, in the middle of her mean, point. Yes, that was his wrong. whole thing. And you're like, wow. It's, it almost seemed pathological. Like, yes. he can't help it. It's like a tick. Mm-hmm. And I've, I can relate in a sad and scary, terrifying way, in that... Part of me, when I'm listening to podcasts, is like talking along with the radio. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's not your time. It's not your turn. Mm-hmm. And I think the intent of equal airtime, which is something we bring to this podcast and something that is imbued in a presidential debate, is maligned when someone's constantly interrupting the other. So it, I think intent really matters. Power dynamic really matters. And, you know, to say in a blanket way... Men are always interrupting women is not quite accurate, or at least not based on this research, which we're going to unpack, I promise, in a second. But it also um, simplifies what is actually a very complex uh, conversational habit. Right. You know what I would like to see, Bridget? I would like to see, because of this dependent clause usage setting women up, if, in fact, women use dependent clauses and passive speech more than men, it sets them up as women to be more inter- often interrupted. To test that, researchers, take note, to test that assumption, we should have an experiment. There should be an experiment out there in which um, 
they test whether gender or passive speech is the bigger indicator of interruption. Oh. All it would take is having men and women researchers engage in conversation for a few minutes with the test subjects. And well, obviously, test subjects would be man, male and female, and they could test man, man to man and woman to woman and man to woman and woman to man interruptions, but have both the man and woman who are the researchers be trained to basically read off of a passive script. Right. Have both of them use passive speech. That'd be fascinating. I think to add to that, it would be interesting to add the nuance of like race. You know, um, I remember watching this documentary. It's it's hilarious, talking funny, and it has these four comedians. It's Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Louis C.K., and um, uh, Ricky Gervais. Uh, and yes. they're all like, it's just like them sitting on a stage having a conversation. And because they're all hilarious, the conversation is hilarious. But I did know, I was like, I feel like Chris Rock is getting interrupted by the other men more. And I could, and part of it is like, these are four hilarious, you know, powerhouses of comedy. No women, surprisingly, because women aren't funny. Right. Um, they should do a remake with Amy Schumer. Oh my gosh. And Samantha Bee. Yeah, I would love that. Jessica Williams. Phoebe. My, yeah, Phoebe, Robin, Phoebe Robinson. Yeah. Um, my favorite comedian of all time, Wanda Sykes. Yeah. <laughs> which I feel like she gets forgotten, but she's hilarious. Oh, Go back and watch her stuff. She's, she's hilarious. so good. Um, but yeah, part of it is that you have these funny men who are all funny. They've all got something funny to say, but you can't help but watch these dynamics at play that you've got Jerry Seinfeld, the richest and most successful comedian of all time, blah, blah, blah. And Chris Rock, also successful and also probably very rich. But you can't help but see dy- power dynamics at play. And it's unclear whether or not it's something's going on or mm-hmm. if it's just funny people who are all friends talking. And I wonder, do you think they got called out for it? Because I, I get called out for it. Well, and I wonder if we call out women interrupters more than male interrupters. I definitely think that's there's something to that. Because mm. I don't I don't think anybody would have ever tweeted at them like, Jerry, let Chris finish his thought. Don't think that would ever happen. Yeah, I think it really boils down to entitlement and power and who we see as having something to say. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think you know, the reason so many of us find those moments of women in power with something to say getting shut down so offensive and so triggering, really, is because we've all been a woman with something to say in a room where somebody assumes we don't have something to say. Yeah. Um, just recently, there was this really kind of viral example of a female scientist who was at a panel with, I think, three men. Um, the scientist's name is Veronica Hubney, and she was basically being constantly interrupted by the moderator. And what made it worse is that this was sort of a, a, a combination of so-called man-interrupting and mansplaining, because the moderator was clearly explaining her own research to her. And eventually, there was points where she just kind of sits back and they all, the men just all talk, and somebody from the audience eventually screams, let her finish her thought. Because, you know... It's her theory. Right. And so I think people gathered, this is a woman with something to say. She, it, this is her theory. She should be right. talking about it. Right. And they won't let her. So I think that context definitely matters. Yeah. yeah. And in that case, like, it's not like she wasn't using the right phrasing. So mm-hmm. we can't victim blame universally. Um, let's, let's dive into the research when we come back from a quick break. Because there's three studies that are often cited on this and are really falling short, unfortunately, at proving what is probably a very real phenomenon. So we'll be right back after a quick break.
And we're back. And we're trying really hard not to interrupt each other. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, but you know this comes from a good place. So let's talk through some of the research that is commonly cited in articles like Glamour magazines. You know, yup, this is a thing that really exists, that science confirms it, or is often cited in the New York Times and elsewhere. The first of which is one of the most recent studies that was done in 2014 at George Washington University. In the study, they had 40 participants, 20 of whom were male, uh, that they set up with three-minute conversations. So they monitored and recorded a three-minute long conversation between men speaking with men, men speaking with women, women speaking with men, and women speaking with women. On average, the study concluded that women in the study interrupted women 2.9 times on average over the course of a three-minute conversation. So that's just about an interruption a minute. Right. Which is probably what we've been averaging. (laughs) (laughs) And then men interrupted women 2.1 times on average, which is almost a whole third less then women interrupted women. So really, women are interrupting women more than more. men are interrupting women. But that's not the headline, right. was it? The, the headline is man interruptions. And more, like, beyond that is that, and this is where there is some credence to this, that men interrupted other men 1.8 times. So that is, you know, a whole third, no, not even a third. It's 0. 0.3 difference, a point three difference in terms of how often men interrupt women versus interrupt men. Right. That's not very significant. Yeah, it's not. And and honestly, that reminds me just anecdotally of, you know, being in a lot of progressive professional spaces. I've actually found men who are very, and I'm not saying this is all men because Lord knows there's some interrupters out right. there that won't shut up. But at least in my experience, I've been around a lot of men in pro- progressive spaces, especially who are very particular about interrupting women and they They'll say, like, if they find themselves interrupting, they'll say, like, oh, no, I don't want to interrupt. Finish your thought. That is something that I think a lot of spaces have tried to normalize. But this research really aligns with that, that maybe men aren't the ones doing all the interrupting. Yeah. So clearly women are being interrupted more than men are being interrupted. But it's not necessarily by men. Right. So how can we take this and run with it and say, oh, men are the perpetuators of interruptions? They're not, according to this research, by the way, which has 40 participants total, which is freaking puny. Okay? Yeah, it's a really small sample size. It's a size. really small sample size. The differences are not that statistically significant. And, you know, one way of looking at this research is saying, wow, women interrupt women more than anybody. Yeah. And, and really, women just aren't being able to finish their thoughts or their sentences regardless of whether it's a man or a woman on the other side of that interruption. Exactly. The other thing that I thought found interesting about the study is that they they concluded that when speaking with a female, participants interrupted more, clearly, and used more dependent clauses hmm. than when speaking with a male. Interesting. So it's like the people who were speaking to these women, even though they were interrupting, were using more passive language. And I think that, to me, is the very interesting part I'd like to lean into and get more more research done on and maybe there is more out there but y'all have to help me find it because we we've been looking and this is these are the commonly cited linked to as you know taken as pure evidence totally conclusive evidence that right. men man interrupting is real which i find really problematic and this other study that's often cited which i think is just 
it really tells you a lot about the research that's out there, the fact that this is cited so often. It's from 1975. And so, first of all, that's a really old study. Things have, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm a re- scientist, but like, I would imagine things maybe are different. You know, I wouldn't rely on a study from 75 to make claims about what's going on with men and women now. I think that's probably Especially a mistake. when it comes to speech. Correct. It's something that's changing so quickly that, tis, you know, historically, young women have been linguistic innovators. Remember we right. talked about vocal, vocal fry? Yeah. You know, these things change very quickly. In our, they change quickly, in, so right. we shouldn't be basing, you know, large, large boombastic claims on, you know, this study. So this study was from 75, came out of UC Santa Barbara. And basically, despite being very old, they only looked at 31, quote, conversational segments overheard in coffee shops and drugstores on campus. And so they don't know if these people are peers. They don't know if it's a, a student meeting with a professor or, you know, two friends who've been friends forever. They don't know the context of what what kind of conversations they're having. And so from the study... Three quarters of the 31 conversational segments analyzed in this paper were two-party interactions recorded in coffee shops, drugstores, and other public places in the university community. Such places were viewed as routine settings in which everyday chit-chat takes place, the kind of talking we all do, even others are likely to overhear us. So not even all of these conversational segments had the same number of parties involved. Right. So it just seems like a, j- a janky study. Apples to oranges. Three people around a brunch table versus one you know, professor talking to a student, so different. It's so different. And so it just seems to me, it's, I wouldn't, if I was a journalist, I would not be basing this claim that, oh, this happens a lot, or women are experienced. I think it's fine to have that be an anecdotal thing where people on Twitter are fired up about men interrupting women, because that's true. But I wouldn't then try to ground it in some scientific evidence if that evidence is just a a little bit lacking. And that's where, like you mentioned earlier, the New York Times headline is slightly better. But here's a paragraph that they put in, in this New York Times story as they introduce the phenomenon. They say, quote, academic studies and countless anecdotes make it clear that being interrupted, talked over, shut down or penalized for speaking out is nearly a universal experience for women when they are outnumbered by men. So, yeah. Is that true? I mean, I'm just looking at the language now. You know what they say here is that being interrupted. Oh, so they don't even say by men, just right. being interrupted. So really, that, that is be, true. Yeah. That is true. That is true, right? Women are interrupted more than men. Yeah. But man interruption, and the headline says the universal phenomenon of men interrupting women. Right. Not as true. But again, I think I think that... It, could, not be, to it get, could be true. Yeah, like not to get nitpicky, but <laughs> calling it a universal... I would say that calling it a universal phenomena is not incorrect because it's something that... Yeah. Women clearly are dealing with. We have personal examples that women are talking about on Twitter. We have like high profile examples, Kanye West, Taylor Swift, what have you. And so I think it's not, it may be a little bit much, but it's not wrong to glean that this is a a universal phenomenon in, in the sense that like it's a thing that happens. Like you could say the universal phenomena of I don't know anything and not have it be, I wasn't ready for that. I, I, see, I had not, I, I didn't interrupt in you. That, yeah. in that sentence construction, I did not have an example. You were collaborating yeah, with me. That was this a, is like the Google docs of conversation. Yes. Y'all you, you and I like to co- collaborate, co-create yeah. sentence by sentence. Um, and I get yelled at. <laughs> and so, so I think, yeah, I think it I think is, right. I, think, it, I right. think it is a thing. And so I, I just want to be clear that I'm not saying I, like when I see women on Twitter railing about this, I'm, I get it. I, I'm like, yeah, it sucks to be interrupted, and I hate it, and it sucks, and you should call it out, and I don't like that, and go you. But I wouldn't then say 
it's a fact that men do it more than women. And, and, and I think that it's gotten that rap. Well, because of the word band corruption, right. which is a misnomer, in my opinion. Which is, I know that's an unpopular opinion to take, but I'm taking it. So here's here's one other study that I do want to tip my hat to. Because to me, it's the best study out there in that it actually deals with race and power and privilege right. in a much more interesting way than gender alone without even controlling for race or age. Like, all of those other studies, I didn't see any any acknowledgement that they were controlling for other factors, which right. also seems like an oversight. But it was some graduate student's paper in 1975, so what, you know... They probably didn't what know. The hell? Yeah. She was like, she needed to graduate or something, you know what I mean? But let's talk about the Supreme Court study. Um, and I want to make sure I get the headline right, but what it was, or the, the name of the study right, because it was a really interesting analysis of the Supreme Court and in terms of the public arguments that were happening. Arguments? Is that the right word? Whatever. They were hearing court cases. They were hearing cases in court. Things were being recorded. Thank you, stenographers. So we were able to really analyze word for word what was happening. And what was interesting is, they looked at how often judges or justices rather interrupted other justices and how often advocates, a.k.a. like attorneys and plaintiffs and all that jazz, were interrupting the justices, even though that is expressly forbidden. Mm. It happens. So this is called Justice Interrupted, the Effect of Gender, Ideology, and Seniority at Supreme Court Oral Arguments. So they were not only looking at gender, but they were looking at partisanship or ideology, like this is a conservative person interrupting a more liberal justice, and uh, seniority, how long have you been serving on the bench? So check out these findings. We find that judicial interactions at oral argument are highly gendered, with women being interrupted at disproportionate rates by their male colleagues, as well as by male advocates. Oral argument interruptions are also highly ideological, not only because ideological foes interrupt each other far more than ideological allies do, but we show that conservatives interrupt liberals more frequently than vice versa. Seniority also has some influence on oral arguments, but primarily through the female justices learning over time how to behave more like male justices, avoiding traditionally female linguistic framing in order to reduce the extent to which they are dominated by the men. So that's really fascinating. Um, first of all, conservatives be interrupting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not surprising. Um, I also, I mean, this really, to me, takes me back to the episode we did around women and policing speech. It, I think if you, it's not surprising to me that female justices sort of learned to speak in a way that was going, that would mean that would be, they'd be interrupted less. But I don't know that I like that because I don't exactly. like the idea that in order for a, a, a Supreme Court justice to get her point across, she needs to be more like a man. I right. think that the answer should be, you know, people should follow the freaking rules and not interrupt if they're not supposed to. Um, I'm, what do I, I know? I'm such more of a pragmatist on this front. So <laughs> here's where all my training at Bossed Up comes into play because I'm constantly saying to the women who I work with and who I train, especially on my most popular topic, which is assertive communication, right. which is there's nothing wrong with the way you speak. Here's how to speak if you want to get that raise. Here's how to speak if you're in an interview. Here's how to speak if right. you don't want to be interrupted. And the reality is that the way that women are socialized to speak or naturally speak, whatever nature or nurture argument you want to take on that, does not always set you up to be respected, 
even though it should. It should. But right. we got to play the cards we've been dealt in the world that we've, you know, that we live in. And I'm way more practical saying, good on you, Sotomayor, especially because she was interrupted more than anyone. Well, she's a woman of color. That exactly. doesn't surprise me at all. And so they were acknowledging that, although, again, sample size problem here. One woman of color. Right. Then, you know. You need and more Clarence, women of color on the bench. Clarence notoriously doesn't speak. Oh, he said like a sentence his whole time And there. it made the headlines. So they couldn't even in- include his oral arguments as part of the sample. So really it was like a seven person sample Jeez. with a one person of color, you know, variable. Right. It was hard to draw conclusions, but the study really acknowledged like these are questions we need to learn more about. You know, is power based on gender, con- you know, compounded by race in Sotomayor's case in that it set her up to be interrupted more than anybody? I would venture to say yes. But again, the research here is not perfect. Right. But interestingly, Sotomayor uh, did it sort of adapted faster, which isn't that interesting. If you have been a woman of color your whole life and you've had to adapt from a gender perspective and a racial perspective right. because of the way that the world polices your speech, it doesn't surprise me that maybe she learned, not learned, but adapted the fastest. So the Inc. article on this study uh, that was titled How Ruth Bader Ginsburg Cut Down on the Supreme Court's Manterrupting cites that during their time on the court, O'Connor, Ginsburg, and Elena Kagan cut their use of this sort of language, they're talking about passive language, in half. Soto, Sonia Sotomayor did it faster. By the end of her first term, she had cut so-called polite phrasing from 75% of her questions to 20%, putting her in league with the male justices. So she really learned with the quickness. And again, that doesn't surprise me at all in a world where women of color are often asked to adapt and change and, you know, do this to not be threatening. Do this to if you're too threatening. Right. Do this to, you know... All, in all the ways, I think it doesn't surprise me that she, you know, learned to adapt so, or adapted so quickly. Right. So I think I want to talk about what we can do to avoid interruptions in a second, but w- I think we should probably take a, a quick break. I just want to conclude this segment by saying, yo, cognitive linguistic scientists out there. Please point me in the direction of better research on this, or let's get some better research on the books, because if we are going around perpetuating the phrase manterruption, which I think is a misnomer, we are going to get called out for perpetuating propaganda in a world that clearly interrupts women more, but I don't think it's there's strong enough conclusive empirical evidence to say that men are the ones perpetuating it. Sorry, unpopular opinion. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk more about that when we come back from this word from our sponsor. And we're back just talking about some, you know, really getting heated talking about interruptions (laughs) and we all do it and women are getting interrupted left and right. Yes. Um, And there's really, it's obnoxious to be interrupted, I think, in a lot of different contexts. And so we wanted to talk through some things you can do about it on both ends, both as the interrupter and the interruptee. And so one of the things I was talking about earlier is active listening. And this is something that I used to be terrible at. And it was through things like therapy, through training, through just really thinking about the ways that we listen that I think I hopefully got a little bit closer to someone who really listens and not someone who waits to talk. And is listening to the, absorbing the information that someone else is telling me. Mm-hmm. And so really, I, I, just like with our policing women speech episode, I am, my advice is always, well, what if, why do the women have to change themselves? Why don't the men change themselves? Why doesn't society change? And so I think we should all be better at active listening and getting better at that. 
I agree. And as someone who has a lot of trouble with that myself, I have found, uh, in a, in a, it's, it reminds me of the advice I give often on buzzwords, how to eliminate buzzwords, which are meaningless verbal ticks, right? So if, if you have trouble keeping your mouth shut like I do, uh, and don't want to be interrupting, substitute the vocal, like the vocalization with some other physical manifestation. Oh, but snapping. Like snapping. That's like, at, at, if you have ever been like in an activist space, yeah. people snap to agree. And that comes from, because you don't want to interrupt what they're saying, but you want to, or yeah. at Occupy, we used up twinkles. So yes. when you were really into something, you would yes. wiggle your fingers and point them upward to yes. indicate agreement, but you don't have to like stop what they're saying. And it's easier from a physiological standpoint, uh, apparently. I don't have the research right in front of me, but I remember when I was researching for our curriculum on assertive communication, it's easier to substitute instead of eliminate. It's hard to eliminate the the iteration, uh, the utterance, right? Instead, I like to nod vigorously, which sometimes makes my head fall off in the studio, uh, in replacement of, or at least I'm attempting to get better at, nodding verbally. So, Replace your vocalization with a physical movement. I like that. Uh, if if you like me, struggle with that. It's tough. It's really. I mean, it's tough. I think we must keep in mind that women interrupt women too. Yeah. And you, you know, question why. Question your underlying assumptions. Question whether you're interrupting people who you see as having more authority or power or credence for some reason. Is right. there unconscious bias there based on race and gender? Probably. Right. Take an implicit bias test. Like, check your privileges and check your biases when it comes to interrupting, but just know that women perpetuate that BS as much as men do. Yeah, I think it's, and I think that's the, like, just to lift up from that, I think that's really difficult advice because it's very hard to unpack, you know, ugly stuff that's inside (laughs) of us, right? The things that, when we, I think we all have motivations for things that we do, whether they're, you know, small things or big things that we, that it might be difficult to turn a, a, a lens in at. That's hard for everybody. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. Yeah. And I think that is really a challenge. Like yeah. when you interrupt somebody, unpack why that is. Right. Do you find yourself interrupting women more or women of color more or people who are more sen- right. senior or more junior? Like, And what, it, what could it mean? Maybe it means nothing. Maybe it means you're really excited to talk about this topic or maybe it doesn't mean that. Well, that's why this has been such a horror, like, I don't want to say horrible, but a really vulnerable experience for the first couple months of going live with you because the last thing I want to be seen as is a woman who is silencing a woman of color who I respect and admire as much right. as I adore you. I mean, holy crap. That's that would, something you don't that's want. That's like the antithesis <laughs> of my intent and my career. Right. And yet I have gotten some very legitimate criticism about that. And, you know, I think it 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 was really hard and it was very guilt inducing and shame inducing and, you know, to look at that underlying thing and ask myself, am I interrupting Bridget because she's a woman of color? Right. Is that what's it's, happening And that's a hard, like, that yeah. is a hard yeah. question, an uncomfortable yeah. question to ask ourselves. Agree. Here, yeah. here. So what else? What else can we do? Um, we have a couple other pieces of advice here that I found interesting. I'm, again, I'm the big advocate for, you know, love the way you speak. You can speak the way you want to speak, but when you want to be strategic, maybe like a Supreme Court justice wants to be strategic about preventing interruptions, learn to speak more assertively. And that sounds like reducing 
the length of pauses in your phrasing whenever possible, thinking about intonation ending not with upspeak, as though you're continuing your thought and you're just keep on going and you're sort of meandering vocally, but instead speak like a gymnast, like Gabby Gub- Douglas flying off the, the balance beam. Right? <laughs> I love Stick that example. your landing. Stick your landing like a gymnast and... You know, say your point. And if you do get interrupted, you can say, oh, no, I'm not quite done yet. Oh, that's a good way to to, to come back from I'm that. I'm not quite done yet. Yes. And I've, I, I'm pairing that here in the studio with a, a hand gesture. You know, putting up your hand and saying, I'm not quite finished. Putting up a finger and saying, let me finish my thought. Hold on just a second. Hillary Clinton does that masterfully uh, whenever she's, not whenever, but often when she's interrupted. I've seen her do it on the debate stage and say, hold on, let me finish. Does she pair it with the finger? She does. I like that. And then, of course, someone snaps a photo of her with wagging her finger and says, Hillary Clinton's an uppity. Right. You know what? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So it's, it, you know, of course, it's not a perfect solution. But if you want to develop your assertive communication, you can. It is a skill that can be developed. And... It can, you know, help you speak in a more active tone and use less passive phrasing. Instead of saying, uh, and this is straight out of that Inc. article uh, around the justices, instead of starting your phrasing with, may I ask or could I ask or excuse me, would you mind right. if I clarified this? You know, that sort of disclaimer type approach or the qualifying approach to just getting to your point. Yeah, And another really exciting, at least for me, exciting example of ways that women have found to kind of gamify being interrupted is um, from the women of the White House and during the Obama administration, this great amplification strategy. They noticed they were getting interrupted. People were taking credit for their ideas. And so when one woman would state an idea they would all amplify it. And so they would they would say it again and they would give credit back to the originator of that idea. So if you said, I think we should do X, Y, Z, and someone interrupted you or moved on or didn't, you know, spend time with that idea, someone else would say, well, it's just like Emily was just suggesting she thinks we should do X, Y, Z. And it forces people to take a beat and deal with what the, you know, what the women in the room have said. Yeah. It's kind of like active listening, but in a proactive, allied way. Verbal active listening. Yeah. It's like a vocalization of active listening. So maybe the person who immediately spoke after you didn't actively listen because they moved on to just, they were waiting to talk. They were waiting to talk and not really listening. Yeah. That's a great strategy. I love that. There's a Washington Post article all about it. The women of the White House, like how they made sure people got credit for their ideas. I love it. definitely include that. So there's one other stupid solution. (laughs) There's no other way to put it. I think this is the dumbest thing I came across in this whole research. And y'all remember the the Chrome app that we kind of threw some shade at during the policing women's speech that helps you eliminate passive language when writing an email or whatever? Stop saying sorry and all that good stuff. There's another app for being interrupted, for man interruption. It's called Woman, Women Interrupted, which is like a play on girl interrupting. Which, shout out to, who was that? Was that Winona? Winona Ryder I was in the loved, movie at Angelina Jolie. She was. That was disturbing. It's by uh, Susanna Kaysen. And I loved that <laughs> so movie. Good. I could do an episode all about it because I watch it like every month. Oh, good. <laughs> so we should. Good. Also, the late Brittany Murphy. Oh, Rest yeah. I loved her. She's so great. She's... Rolling with the homies. Yeah, Clueless. We should do an episode. Oh, my Clueless. God. Don't even get me started. Girl. <laughs> we're going to have to do that. Okay. Anyway, we were about to make fun of this terrible, stupid app that I think is the dumbest thing I've heard of all day. Um. 
to put it assertively. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this app, Women Interrupted, that supposedly picks up on vocal tone in a way that would tell you whether you have a man's voice or a woman's voice. Which, which, first of all, that's really a limited... It's not... Gender is not that simple. Yeah. It just totally erases transgender people from that spectrum. Or women who have deeper voices or men who have... All of it is wrong. Come on. Yeah. So there's that. And then it automatically picks up on, supposedly, when how many times you've been interrupted. And it just tells you that number at the end of the day. So you can look at your phone and be like, I'm terrible. I allowed myself to be interrupted 25 times today. It's like, how unhelpful a statistic is that? I don't get how that would make anything... What would that do for you? It would make you feel bad. Yeah, it would, at the end of the day, it's like, oh, I didn't feel bad enough just being interrupted all day. Now <laughs> yeah. I have an actual like timer <laughs> telling me how many times it yeah. happened. It's like wearable tech gone awry. Yeah, I generally, and this is a whole other episode, but I generally hate anything where it's a a, a clunky tech solution for women. I hate it, that to a feminist issue. Yeah, yeah like I remember too. there was a very no. well-meaning. Um, group of scientists who designed nail polish that you could dip your fingers yeah. into your drink and it would tell you if your drink had been spiked. Roofied. And I thought, like, Maybe we no. should just tell boys not to roofie women. Right. Yeah. I thought that was, I had a real problem with that. I know. It's it's just like all of our STEM classes are going, you know, overdosing on gender equality. I get it. Yeah. They're like, how can we make technology interesting for women? Let's make it a date rape technology. Or let's <laughs> make it a... Pink, you know, let's pinkify the Lincoln logs, and it's just we we should we could do a whole. It's a lot. On that. Anyway, hopefully y'all don't think we're that mean, but um, but I, I just had to say like that that app is not the solution here. I I'm curious to hear how this goes over because I was looking on the internet. I was like, tell me, there's another level-headed feminist out there who has said man interruption is. A myth. Like, the science doesn't back it up. Yes, we have boatloads of anecdotal evidence, but that's not enough for me to point the finger at all men and say, men, you should feel bad because you're interrupting women more. When the one study that actually measures the difference shows that women interrupt women more. So I I think, honestly, it's not um, prudent or responsible to even perpetuate the word man interruption. I don't even think that it makes sense or that that word in and of itself holds water based on the current research we have. And I hope to be proven wrong. I hope. So are you officially advocating that we ba- like we get rid of the word man I think it's a misnomer. I do. I think that women interrupt women too. And I think that interrupting women is not cool, especially when uh, power, gender, race combine. But I don't. I don't feel comfortable personally using the word "man interruption" as though that's a uh, empirically, you know, solved reality. Right. I mean, here's the thing: if you're a woman interrupting Hillary Clinton on the debate stage, it's not going to make a headline. So I think there's an over-reporting. Yeah. Of so men. when if Carly Fiorina interrupted yeah. Hillary Clinton. What's that look like? That's not a headline. Yeah. So I think there's a higher likelihood that Mitch McConnell makes headlines for being a jerk to Elizabeth Warren than the same exact action being taken against another man. So I think there's a higher level of reporting happening on that front. We really need some better science before I feel comfortable using that term. And I think it, but I I think it's just like you said, it plays into a certain cultural dynamic that that is, that is emerged. That's true. I don't think that cultural dynamic is necessarily wrong. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You get it. 
I, I hope so. <laughs> I'm going to get so much People hate People are going to call right in. I mean, honestly, I, I actually do want to hear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to hear your, inter- I mean, I'm sure we all have our interruption stories. I want to hear these interruption stories. I want to hear if folks think that man-trupting sh- is a thing. And even if the science has not proven it yet, it could or will or should. Um, I'm really curious to hear. Uh, I know that a lot of the people out there probably have um, have dealt with this yeah. in a personal way. If you're a, if you're a dude, I want to know what you know. What steps are you taking to be sure that your female colleagues are being heard? You can tweet at us at Mom Stuff Podcast on Twitter. You can hit us up on Instagram at Stuff Mom Ever Told You, or send us a good old fashioned email, which we love reading so much, at Mom Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. Mm-hmm. 